Aloha, this is Ben Pregnell, and you're listening to the weekend teaching from Hope Chapel in Kihei, Maui. You're visiting with us or just been coming around for a little bit. You've come at the very best time because today we're starting our brand new series as a church, one at a time, and so you couldn't have picked a better time to join us. Uh, we're all, as a church, we're literally all getting on the same page, and the book is free, okay? So if you don't have your book, go pick that up, and uh, what's going to be happening is the weekend teachings, the book chapters we're reading together, and then the discussion groups, uh, the discussions we're having in Ohana groups caught up all aligned, all the way from children's ministry, youth ministry here. And uh, I love this series, one at a time. Now, I heard a comment Friday night like, oh, it was so smart of you guys to pick this series, you know, since the fire and everything. And I was like, actually, the Lord led us to this before the fire, but it's even more relevant uh, right now for what we're going through here. But uh, it's just all about the way that Jesus lived and loved and has called his people to do the same one at a time. And the thing about that is it's very counterintuitive to our natural way, and it's very countercultural to our world right now. Digital marketing experts tell us that we're exposed to 5,000 ads a day. And uh, we don't even realize that, but every single ad begins with this assumption. You're missing something in your life. And so what you got to do is you got to keep clicking, you got to keep scrolling, you have to keep subscribing, you have to keep ordering, and boy, if you just keep at it, eventually you'll become satisfied. You know, I think about social media in particular. It's been promoted as a platform for creativity and community. And, and, and yes, that's happening. But our lives are so filled with distraction. And I don't know if it's just me. I'm having a harder time focusing. Anybody else? And there's so much information coming at us. And the irony is most of the studies now are, that are coming out link anxiety, depression, body image issues, antisocial behavior, division and polarization, the normalization of risky behavior, and just an overall decline in mental health to the overuse of social media. Are you guys seeing that? You know, we went on social media to connect and it became toxic when we stayed to compare. And one of the biggest downfalls in all of this in our culture and what's going on right now is it's created this idea that relationships are commodities. And so it's like, well, I think, you know, you're going to help me and you're going to do for me. And so uh, I'll do this for you and I'm going to get something out of this. And, and our tendency is to live life with what we call a selfie lens. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to live life not with a selfie lens, but with what the book calls a zoom lens, to focus in on the one. So why this series? Well, as believers in Christ, we have been called to something so much greater than what's kind of happening in our culture right now. We've been formed in the image of God created to bring him glory, to live as disciples of Jesus. You know, this term discipleship, I want to talk about just for a moment because maybe it's confusing or it's like, how does this translate to everyday life? But it's, it's a widely used word just to describe 
a journey of spiritual growth. And that's what this series is all about. We find three major elements in discipleship in Jesus' call to the first disciples. So I want to look at this just for a moment. In Matthew 4, it says, while Jesus was just walking by the Sea of Galilee. So that tells us this is just everyday life. As we're going about, walking, doing our day, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I want you to underline or highlight or circle in your Bible or your Bible app these three terms. Follow me, make you, and fishers of men. You see, when Jesus says, follow me, that means your life direction and your life purpose is all now found in him. Follow him. And he says, I'll make you, and that means your identity, that means your growth, that means all the change in your life is because of Jesus. He's making you, he's forming you, he's shaping you. And then fishers of men, what's that all about? It means that you're created for and you're committed to a mission to multiply, to bring Jesus to other people. See, although our faith is very, very personal, it was never meant to be private. You guys got that? It's not meant to be private. It's meant to be shared. I like how someone put it. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only organization that exists for those that are not yet a part of it. Why are we doing all that we're doing? It's not about you and me. It's for those that yet have come to encounter the love of God. And so I've just, this isn't the Bible, this is just a working definition just to help us maybe get more clarity. Discipleship. Discipleship is the spiritual journey that means that your life's direction and purpose is found in Jesus. Your identity and growth is formed by Jesus, and this results in a total commitment of your life to the mission of Jesus to multiply and to make more disciples. And so, um, listen. This is kind of building on this series on where we were last week and just really talking about the biblical mandate and definition of the church and, and our mission as a church. And so if, if you missed last weekend, number one, I'm sorry, it was such a good time. It was our 43rd anniversary. Was that fun? Was that great? And so uh, go back and watch that teaching because it's very much connected and building a foundation. But I know some of you still might be thinking, okay, well, why do we need to have a book and a series and get in a group, you know? Well, let me give a couple reasons. Number one, it takes discipline to be a disciple. It takes discipline to be a disciple of Jesus. And so every time you challenge yourself, every time you stretch yourself, every time you step outside of your comfort zone, what happens? Growth and spiritual maturity. I like what Levi Lusco says. He says, comfort zones don't keep your life safe. They keep your life small. Now, everyone has comfort zones, and everyone's comfort zone is a different size, but here's the deal. Everyone must step outside of their comfort zone. So you don't compare yourself to other people. 
But Jesus is asking each one of his followers to take a step outside of their comfort zone, whatever size that may be. And there's a challenge, there's a stretching element to this all-church series that we're taking together. And if you do it, I can guarantee you, you will be blessed, you will grow, but you got to know that growth sometimes looks a little bit more like iron sharpening iron. There's some sparks. And so don't be deceived. It's all going to be cozy and comfortable. But it will be meaningful and worthwhile. And there's one last reason it's even more important, and that's because God's word is the source and guide for our lives. It's the final authority uh, for us. We study the scriptures and we see so clearly that discipleship happens within the context of relationships. We need each other. And it's actually shared from one person to another because everybody knows something about Jesus that you don't know and you probably have something with Jesus that you can share with somebody else. And so it's intentional relationships that are the method that God has given us to become all that he has purposed us to be because life is about relationships. Our relationship with him, our relationship with others. And I'll never forget, I was at this conference one time, and this pastor from Australia, I can't remember his name, but he just looked at the group and he said this, every time God wants to do something new in your life, he brings new people into your life because God works through relationships. And so many of the stories we find in the gospel are one-at-a-time stories where Jesus modeled for us a way to live that makes every day as you're going about your day, an opportunity to make a difference in the life of somebody else. And so I'm so excited that we're finally here and we get to start the journey right now. Are you guys excited about that? Man, so if you haven't picked up your free book in the courtyard, pick that up. If you've not signed up for a group, sign up online or go to the connect table, they'll help you. But I got some kind of funny news. 50 of you thought it started last week and you showed up under the tent. You know who you are. The Katina's concert was last Tuesday. All of the groups start this week, but this is the issue. Only 29 of you had signed up for the group, and 50 already showed up. Now, the good news is we have room for 100, and we are gonna share a meal together and have childcare, but we really need to know if you're coming so we can prepare a place for you. So please, sign up or go to the connect table so that we can know and find another group that may suit where you live or uh, the area that, uh, you know, the night of the week that works for you because I, I hope you can understand this. This series right now in the life of our church is a big deal. It's a big deal. And to get the most out of this, we're asking everybody to make a seven week commitment. To what? Let me tell you. Some of you haven't been to church seven times in a row in your entire life. <laughs> the messages are going to connect to the book that are going to connect to the video that are going to connect to the discussion. And you'll be blessed to do that. Some of you have never read a book in your life. <laughs> Now's your chance. It's a very easy read. The first chapter that you need to read before group takes like a couple minutes. And here's the other thing. Some of you have never joined an Ohana group before. This is your opportunity. And I can tell you this. The juice will be worth the squeeze. 
So make that commitment to join us on this journey, a journey of spiritual growth and maturity that will bring so much more blessing and growth in your life as we look to Jesus and the way that he lived and the way that he loved. So we're going to get started. You ready for a Bible study? Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Open your Bible app to Luke 15. And uh, this is one of the most well-known chapters in the Bible. Uh, In it, the context of it is very, very revealing. The scribes and the Pharisees are grumbling that Jesus is eating with, hanging out with, and receiving sinners and tax collectors. And so to respond to their grumblings, Jesus tells three very famous stories, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. And so from the book, we're calling this message Zoom Lens. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And God, we look to you in this time. There's so much going on in our world, even right now. We pray for the peace of Israel, Lord. We think of just this devastating and and horrible reality that wars are happening, not only there, but across the world, Russia, Ukraine, and Lord, it just reminds us of what we can do, and that's we can love each other one at a time. We can share your word one at a time, and we thank you for the freedom and the peace we have to do that in this place. And for each one, Lord, that's gathered here today, those that are just, uh, man, Drag themselves to the doors, encourage them, comfort them, Lord, strengthen them for the areas in our lives where we need to change. Holy Spirit, bring us the conviction, the power to change. And above all, Jesus, be lifted up, honored, and glorified in this place as we've come to worship you, to study your word, Lord, as your people here, that you would use us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, we're going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to get through this. So you guys ready for this? Let's start. Luke 15 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus, he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost, until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, rejoice with me, for I've found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman? Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I've found the coin that I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. 
The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I'm perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. And because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And the father said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, and now he is found. Jesus often taught in what is called parables. We just read three. A parable is simply a story that illustrates a spiritual lesson. And here we find this response given to the scribes and the Pharisees who criticized Jesus for receiving sinners. Now, who were the Pharisees and the scribes? They were the Jewish leaders. They were very educated in the law. They transcribed the law. Uh, They were the official recorders of the law. They prided themselves in their lineage and their ancestry and their set-apartness, their privilege, their position, and they believed that all of those things earned them special favor with God. They are not happy that Jesus receives these sinners, these tax collectors. You know that word receive literally means to allow access to oneself. Jesus welcomed and allowed access to himself. 
these sinners, and he's being criticized and grumbled against for reaching out and spending time with them. Now, you know, you got to understand, the reality is we are all sinners. I mean, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in particular here, we see the sin of the Pharisees, which is self-righteousness and pride. That is known as sins of the spirit. And then there are sins of the flesh, and that's what the scribes and the Pharisees are stating, and they're grumbling about that Jesus would receive these sinners because why? They're lawbreakers. You shouldn't allow them in your presence. Now, I'd imagine today, if you go to some kind of, you know, social gathering, and you're maybe new to the group, and you proudly proclaim that you work for the IRS, Uh, You're likely not going to make a ton of friends or win a popularity contest. But you're not going to face utter rejection and excommunication or maybe physical violence. Very unlikely. But you see, in the Bible times, the Roman Empire, this oppressive regime, had tax collectors who were Jews. And so they were seen as individuals who were traitors of their own people. And that rather than standing against the oppression of the Roman Empire, they were enriching themselves at the expense of their own people. And it was common knowledge that the tax collectors cheated people, Uh, they skimmed extra off the top, Zacchaeus confesses that when he meets Jesus, and so they're not well liked, in fact they're rejected, Uh, they're shunned, they're not associated with, And, and then obviously too, they lived a very lavish lifestyle, and so they separated themselves. Uh, by that as well. And, and, and tax collectors and sinners are often actually used synonymously in the Gospels, which is kind of interesting. But the word sinner just means to miss the mark. Uh, you know, it means to fall short of what God requires. And so when the Pharisees call them sinners, they're saying these are people who live in blatant contradiction to the law of God. And they're shunned from society, they're considered unclean, and you never talk to them, you don't associate with them. In fact, you hate them. You know, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is also accused of hanging out with these folks, and he says this in response. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so it was these sinners that Jesus was receiving. Why? Because it says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. So the first thing we see in this passage when you live life with a zoom lens is it's that Jesus sees and seeks the lost. Jesus had a way of zooming in on those that the religious community had cropped out. I mean, think about it just for a moment. People that had lost their way, whether by ignorance, maybe they were exploited, they found themselves in just a terrible life of sin, and others by just willful, intentional choices. They've chosen a life of deceit or crime. But either way, it says Jesus receives them. And he tells three parables about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. I kind of learned something new this week I'll share with you. Did you realize that in John 3.16, when it says, for God so loved the world, 
that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. That word perish is the same word used here by Jesus for the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The word lost and perish, same word. That God desires that none would be lost, but believe in him and receive everlasting life. So to be lost means that you're on a path that's destroyed, that's ruined, it's headed towards eternal destruction, what the Bible calls hell. And Jesus is answering the indictment of eating and receiving sinners, and he's saying something like this. When I eat with tax collectors and sinners, it's like going after that one lost sheep. It's like finding that one precious lost coin and it's like experiencing that lost son returning home. And notice in these three parables that there's not only a mathematical progression as the loss increases from one sheep out of 100 to one precious coin out of 10 to one son out of two, but the intrinsic value of the loss rises to lose one sheep to then one valuable coin out of 10, a tenth, to lose one of your children out of two. Now we know that sheep are known to wander off. Do you guys know that, right? That's why sheep need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, sheep wander off. Smile if you know what I'm talking about right now. Without a shepherd, sheep wander off. And there was this crazy news story from a few years back from Turkey with a bunch of shepherds and their sheep and one sheep just blindly wandered off a cliff, falling to its death. And then the stunned shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they're having breakfast watched as 1,500 of the rest of their flock blindly followed and leapt off the same cliff. And in the end, this is kind of the cool part, only 450 of the 1,500 died. Why? They were following on this big, white, pillowy pile of sheep. <laughs> and so those that jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and higher and a little more cushiony. Now there's a picture here of somehow and in some way maybe you've wandered off. Maybe you followed the crowd and you were ignorant and you walked off a cliff. You know, sheep wandered off. Coins can be lost. You don't plan on it, but it happens. But there's also a picture of definitive causation here in the case of the lost son, where the son openly and defiantly rebels and walks away. And his actions couldn't be more heartbreaking to the father. You know, prodigal means to be wastefully extravagant. Wastefully extravagant, and that's what he was. And some people make a choice to be wastefully extravagant and to walk away. Maybe you walked away from a marriage, walked away from a family, walked away from what you knew was right for one reason or the other. You know, in the Jewish culture, the older son... First of all, it was unheard of for anyone to receive the inheritance before the father died. So number one, I mean, it's an unheard of, completely insulting request. 
but the father grants it. And, and when there's two sons like that, the older son actually gets two-thirds of the estate, and the younger son gets one-third. And so at that time, the estate would have been divided. And in essence, the younger son is saying, I wish you were dead, and I value your money more than our relationship or this family. And he goes, and he blows all the money, and he ends up with nothing, with no one to help him, just hoping to eat the pig scraps. And the older brother, it says, knew of his wild living. In fact, culturally speaking, the whole community would have known, and the shame and the embarrassment brought upon the family, and the boy hits rock bottom. I mean, for a Jewish boy to be working with pigs was a total disgrace. And the idea here that Jesus is saying in this third parable is this son could not have afflicted any more hurt towards his father. I mean, he'd gone to the utmost limits of breaking the father's heart. And maybe you're here right now and you feel that you've wandered off and you're just too far gone. Or you let God down too many times or you made a conscious choice and you went out and now you're beyond the reach of the love of God. You need to understand that nothing could be further from the truth. Because the point in each of these parables is so clear that all have sinned and that Jesus sees and seeks out those who are lost, those that are on a path of self-destruction. Jesus sees you and he seeks you out. Jesus wasn't saying that the other 99 sheep were not that important. He was emphasizing that the one sheep that wasn't in the fold corresponded with the lost, the sinners. And the 99 refer to the Pharisees who thought themselves righteous and therefore had no need to repent. And it's not that they didn't need repentance for themselves. Jesus is using irony to show them their self-righteousness and their pride, especially in the third story in the case of the older brother who couldn't even bring himself to rejoice at his brother's return home. Jesus saw the sinners, the tax collectors, as lost coins stamped with the image of God, needing to get back into circulation, and no matter how much that coin has been defaced, it bears the image and the superscription. And it's true of every man, every woman, that you're made in the image of God. And however much damage you think you've done, you're His. He wants you to return. With the lost sheep, the attention is fastened on the condition of the thing that was lost. With the lost coin, it's upon the sorrow of the one who is lost. You know, in that time, it was interesting, too, because the average flock size of sheep for shepherds was 20 to 30. And so Jesus picks a number that would be more than three times the average flock. I mean, that's a pretty large flock for these guys. And he's saying, if one left, would you even notice? Would you care? I mean, you got 99. You got three times more than everybody else. He says, the shepherd goes after the one. The woman hunts diligently. It says, sweeps and lights her home looking for that single coin. You see, the good shepherd knows his sheep by name. He calls them individually to come to himself. He cares. He sees and he seeks after everyone who is lost that needs repentance. Why? Because he cares for you. Love what the early church father, St. Augustine, said. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And with the prodigal son, the lost son, we understand that Jesus sees people 
as sons and daughters. That's how Jesus sees us. That's how when he zooms in, he sees that son, he sees that daughter. And we know from personal experience, there's so much power. When you know that someone has seen you. You know, there was this guy during COVID in New York City on social media. His name is Devin Rodriguez, and he had these videos. He's an incredible portrait artist, and uh, what he was doing during COVID, which was, I think, to humanize and encourage and, you know, his form of art, is he was going on subways, and unbeknownst to the people on the subway he was sitting across from was drawing their portrait. And then, after a while, he began to give them the portrait. Some of you may have seen this. Here's just a little example. Here's one of the videos of, uh, of many. I watched several of the videos, and, and many people were moved to tears. And I'm, I'm thinking, why? I mean, they know what they look like. They can take a selfie with their camera, like on the subway themselves. And you know what? He actually did this for a while, and instead of giving the portraits to the people, he hung them in his studio, like as his form of art, and it never really took off. He was just trying to capture people in these honest moments, and it didn't get much attention, didn't go viral, and then the moment he starts handing them the pictures, it explodes. He becomes world famous, millions of views, interviewed on every media outlet. Why? Because it was the power of being seen. You know, one of the people that he drew said this to him, there's 10 million people in this city, but there's something so emotional and powerful about that moment when I felt seen. Now listen, I don't know how good your art skills are. Mine are terrible. I can't do that. That's not how God wants me to see people. But you see, the life that you live, the path that you're on, the people you find yourself around, God wants his people to zoom in, to really notice that there's a search and a seeking involved, especially with the lost. Of what Craig Englert said, you know, that there's a seeking before there's a saving. That God goes to great effort to seek the lost. And that means that the lost aren't people we should be avoiding, but pursuing. C.T. Studd, uh, an amazing man of God, grew up in a very affluent family, was a professional cricket player. His father came to Christ at a crusade in the early 1800s. And he eventually became a missionary to China, India, Africa, a pastor and evangelist, spoke across America as well, just used so powerfully of God for the gospel. And I've always loved what he said. He said this, some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. But you see, this heart that Jesus has for the lost, those that are on a self-destructive path, those that have wandered away and didn't even know they wandered away, those that have made willful choices, 
Man, make it your prayer. Jesus, help me to have your eyes, your heart for those and the one. See, because Jesus sees and seeks the lost. And then secondly, it's Jesus that saves the lost. You know, you're not securing your salvation because of your strong grip on God. It's God's strong grip on you. Look at verse 17 and 19. When he came to himself, the son, came to his senses, he's thinking, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I'm perishing here with hunger? I'm going to go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, after going so far away, it says the son comes to himself, comes to his senses. It's like waking up from a bad dream. And at this point, he gives up any thought or hope of sonship, of restoring a relationship as a son, but just hoping he could become a servant. And it wasn't because of all of his poor choices and hitting rock bottom that he returned. It's he brought to mind the goodness of the father that even the servants are well fed. And you've got to understand the progression here. He's thinking, he's remembering, he begins to own and decide and determine to turn around and then to repent and to return to the Father. See, true repentance requires first just an honest, an honest confession of your sin without any excuses. You know, the son didn't say, well, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have demanded the inheritance if you just weren't so hard to live with and demanding and insensitive as a father. Or, uh, you know, I wouldn't have gotten into so much trouble if you would have realized I'm really not that good with money, and if you would have never given me the inheritance, none of this would have ever happened. Or, you know, I can never live up to the expectations of this older brother. I mean, he just does everything right. And so, I mean, the only option I had is I had to leave because I just can't be around this guy anymore. He's just too perfect. No. He says, Father, I've sinned before God and you. Some people say repentance is just a change of the mind. It begins with a change of the mind, but then it results in a turn in your life. It says, what did the son do? He turned and he left. And he returned to the father. He put a great deal of distance between himself and those old temptations. You know, one old time pastor put it this way, slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. That if you're just limping towards God, you've got to understand that he's running towards you. It says, when a long distance off, the father ran toward him, embraced him, just smothered him with kisses. Some would say, well, shouldn't you just kind of wait and see or just hear a little bit more? Uh, shouldn't you put him on probation and just kind of see how he does? Father says, no way. And he wraps his arms around him. Says this in verse 20 and 22. He rose and came to his father, and while he's still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him, kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And when the son was far off, the father ran to him. 
And within Jewish custom, there's a lot of really amazing things about this. For an older man to lift up his robe and to run, number one, was unheard of. It was kind of a disgraceful, shameful thing to do. In fact, in that act, the father's taking on all the shame of the situation between their relationship in that act. And then he's kissing him, he's hugging him, he's giving him the ring, the the robe, the shoes, what does all that mean? It's a complete restoration of the relationship of the son and the father. And he's calling for a celebration. So you need to see that Jesus celebrates when the lost are found. And the climax of all three of these stories that Jesus responds to criticism for receiving sinners, ends in rejoicing. I mean, look at the first one with the sheep. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous who need no repentance. Look at the lost coin. When she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's look at the the son. The father says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and now is alive. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. This is the heart of Jesus, to see and to seek out and to save and then to celebrate when the lost come home. When people that have wandered off come back, it's not condemnation, it's celebration. And the son is completely forgiven and the act of the ring, the robe, the shoes, the celebration, it's a picture of us, our sins blotted out. You don't have to brace yourself for that big lecture if you come back to God where it's like, I told you so, and this is all the stupid stuff that you've done. No, he clothes us, it says, with his robes of righteousness. Full privileges as a son or a daughter, sharing in the best that he has. He's overjoyed, and he invites others to celebrate that the lost has been found. That's exactly how God responds when you and I turn from our sins and come to him. Maybe you feel far off right now. All I can say is, man, come home. It's so much better than what you're going through right now that God's waiting for you. And it's not to punish you, it's to throw you a party. But the older brother, verse 25, was in the field, and as he came and as he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound, but he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. 
And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead, now was alive, he was lost, and now is found. You can't miss that this elder brother is a direct and strong warning to the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling against Jesus, who was receiving the sinners. And it's like those who come even maybe to church every week and think, oh, that was a really good message for them. Because this son was devoted to the father's law, the father's service, but entirely out of sympathy with the father's heart. And it says he wouldn't even go in. He's like pouting on the porch. But you see, his problem isn't even really with the brother. It's with the dad's forgiveness. And he's resentful towards that kind of mercy and that angry towards grace. And, and look at the father's response to the older brother, which is so gracious and patient. I mean, the patient heart of God. comes out, doesn't get mad. Jesus left heaven to come to this earth. He's pleading with his son. He doesn't command a servant to drag him into the party, but he asks him to come in and rejoice. See, Jesus is saving sinners, and the Pharisees couldn't rejoice. But, you know, Jesus also came to save the hypocrites, the scribes, the Pharisees, the self-righteous. He tells the son, all that I have is yours. I receive you the same way, that, that my desire is that you'd be a son and not a servant. And notice that Jesus leaves the story hanging with the older brother outside. We don't know if he ever comes in to join the party in spite of the father's gentle and gracious appeal. And I think Jesus leaves the story there to make us consider our response. I mean, where do you find yourself in the story? See, wherever God has placed you is a space that he wants to use you. And in over 40 times in the Gospels, it says that Jesus saw. And then after Jesus saw, it goes on to some of the most incredible stories that you'll ever learn about in your entire life of a transformed life of someone that was lost. And it began with Jesus saw. And have you noticed that you see what you're looking for? What you train your eyes to see is what you find. And it's amazing, as I consider my own life, it's amazing what I don't see, and it's incredible how much more I could see. But do you see people, one at a time, that God has placed in your path? As I was preparing this message, my dear friend Toby came to my mind, and and uh, she graciously agreed to share her story with us today. I want to direct your attention to the screen. Hi, church family. I'm Toby, and I've been coming to Hope Chapel for, I believe, about eight years. And I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. And before I came to Hope Chapel, I was not a believer. I used to, um, I've had a great family, and I've lived a very good life. Um, for the most part, but I got a little bit older and I um, started getting into some trouble. As my son was getting older and almost ready to graduate from high school, I kind of lost my way. And I got into drug addiction and I went pretty deep into my addiction in that um, I was lost. I, I pretty much lost my way and I separated from my family and from those who are close to me and without realizing it, I was slipping pretty far away and this happened for several years I think about three years I went down and I thought it was a good idea for me to end my life 
Um, not that I didn't love myself, but I just didn't see the purpose. So I decided to do that. And I wasn't looking for a way out or anything, but what had happened is um, I said my goodbyes and I went um, to do the deed, which was actually, I, I had it like all planned out. I was gonna go down to the beach and and um, anyways, take a bunch of drugs and end it. And I met some interns from Hope Chapel, Nick and Nina. And um, they were walking on the street, right across the street from from um, the cove, which is where I was at the time. And they, um, they asked me how I was, and they asked me if I was hungry. They were very kind, but I didn't really, at that point, believe that people were kind. So I was kind of rude back. And um, they said, oh, how are you? And I said, not, I'm fine, do you care? Like, I, I really didn't want to talk to them, but they were very persistent on speaking with me. And they were just very encouraging. Instead of being argumentative, they were the true meaning of spoken to me with grace. They were so amazingly loving. I could feel their heart and I could see that they were not teasing me. They just really wanted to know. And so when I really dug deep, I realized it's because I love people. That's why I've been happy because I love so much and that's why I'm hurt. And then they said, wow, Jesus loves. You must share a heart. And I remember thinking to myself, these people really believe that. They actually believe that there's a Jesus and, um, and that we share a heart. And then for the first time in my 48 years of living, I thought maybe their Jesus knows something <laughs> because they didn't know what I was about to do. So um, for a split second, I thought, whoa, maybe you never know because these people were as kind and loving as they were, I knew they were very like innocent and they could not have known what I was going through at all or what I was about to do, but still maybe their God did. So for the split second, I thought about that, which was really quick. Then I felt confused. I felt like crying. I wanted to leave and I was ready to go. So I said, okay, well, thank you. Nice to meet you. And I got to go. And they said, okay. And I said, see ya. And they said, wait, can we pray first? And I said, pray? Like, where are we gonna go? How are we gonna pray? Are we gonna just stand here and pray, like hold hands? And they said, yeah, just right here. And so I um, said, okay. And so we held hands and when Nina prayed, she had thanked the Lord for me. And she had said, um, thank you God for Toby and we are happy to meet her. They just said nice things like that. And they said that they wish they had, that they would like to have forgiveness in their heart like I have. And, um, you know, Lord, I feel like Toby is at her lowest point right now. And so you tell us when we're at our lowest point that you come to us and you're there for us. I don't know what was happening, but there was something stirring. Well, I know now that that was the Holy Spirit. It was, um, the Lord coming in me. So that was really, I think, amazing because instead I thanked them and we went our ways. And then instead of going to kill myself, I took the drugs out, I threw them in the bushes. I went and got help. Um, I did come back to Hope Chapel and I was looking for those people, <laughs> you know, wondering if they really were real and if they were here and just curious. I was just curious. so. I did just, I'd never been in church before. Um, so I came in Hope Chapel 
And I, I wanted to change, I just didn't know how. I didn't know what to do. I know that when you get help, it has to be for yourself, it can't be for other people. So I just wandered in here and there was um, Pastor Craig on the stage and again, the Holy Spirit was there and he spoke directly to me. Um, even though there was a hundred people in the room, I felt like the message was just for me. I really do feel like I was the one that God came. He came and he got me. Now that I know about Christ, I don't have to be. He's in charge. I know that. He loves me and he wants what's best for me. And he loves all of us. He loves everybody and it's all about the love. And even when there, I came upon things that I didn't understand, certain subjects that were very challenging for me in the beginning when I first heard, I, I thought, nope, this isn't for me, see ya. But then God really, always, if I prayed about it, which I always do, God finds a way to help me to understand what I thought I never could. He's, he's amazing and it's changed my life because I know that He loves me unconditionally. I know that He has good plans for me. I know that He has my way made and um, all I have to do is be me. So it's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Toby. <laughs> I'm going to ask uh, the ladies to begin to pass out the communion elements. Just hold on to them. And I want to say something. Uh, maybe you felt far off. Maybe you felt lost. Today, this act of communion, you can take these elements as that first act of faith, of placing your faith in Christ, confessing your sins, and inviting Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. And so this can be the first time that you'd invite him into your life. For many of us, many times, we've received the Lord's Supper. Jesus told us, do this in remembrance of me until I return. And in that time, first, the scriptures tell us we need to examine ourselves. To take some moments. God, is there anywhere where I've been off track? I confess that right now. Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for the way that you celebrate and welcome me back and have forgiven my sin. And as we begin this one-at-a-time series, I think it's a great time, too, just to ask the Lord, is there, is there someone that you already know of in your life that needs to be seen? Is there someone that needs to be seen? Maybe you know who it is. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's a prayer. A prayer that we'd pray together. God, who is the one person that you want me to see, to zoom in on? But you see, at the cross of Christ, it says the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, paid the penalty for our sin for all time. He says, it's finished. Your past, your present, and your future for those that would confess him as Lord. And so it's like, how far would, would Jesus travel to find, to seek, to see, to save the lost? Well, about as far as you can go, the distance from heaven to earth. 
That's as far as you can go to seek and to save the lost. And that's what Jesus has done for every single one of us. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not be lost, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if for the first time that's you, I hope that you would take this step of faith and declare your faith in Christ because you see it's at the cross where we see the heart of Jesus to see us, to seek us out, and to save us. And so it's recorded at the Last Supper, the night before the crucifixion that Jesus gathered with the disciples and he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that's been broken for you. Take, let's eat together. He took the cup, he poured it, said, this is my blood that's been poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. Jesus, we thank you. It says you left the 91, 99, and sought the one. That the moment we turned towards you, you ran towards us and clothed us with your righteousness, with the ring of sonship. And so what can we do, God? We can seek to follow you, to be a disciple Lord, and to be about your business in seeing and seeking out, Lord, others, into extending your grace and your love, into calling others on this path of discipleship, that we would see a multiplication happen as each one of us just takes our next right step. And so we thank you for the cross. We thank you for this opportunity to be together. And we thank you for the next seven weeks that, God, you would do more than we could think, dream, ask, or imagine in us by the power of your Holy Spirit to reach the lost, to grow in our faith, and to make disciples. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to connect with you. Visit us at HopeChapelMaui.com and let us know any way we may be able to serve you. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at HopeChapelMaui. Stay up to date with all the latest. God bless you.